to the decisions that we make. Amen. And it's a hard pill to swallow, but there's nothing better than to look at it through the scripture. So today, I would like to minister on the concept that although we may have fallen short while walking with God, God still loves you. God still loves you. I was, I was uh, putting this sermon together. You know, God was just ministering to me because I made a lot of mistakes in my walk with God. Bad decisions. So, God still loves you and I. God does not like the sin that may have been committed. And I want to submit to you today that nor will he ever condone it. Although he may forgive us and he may have grace and he may have compassion and he may have mercy, that does not mean that he condones what we have done. But the beautiful thing about God is that he's always willing to restore us back to himself. And as I was getting that downloaded, right, from, from heaven, right? As I was meditating on this, I want to submit to you today that there are many believers that have given up because they believe that God will never forgive them for their transgressions, for the fault that they have done, for the sin that they have committed. 
Oh, but if they knew about that man that the Bible calls a man after God's own heart. And some of you seasoned Christians know who I'm talking about. You begin to look at the, the life of King David. And King David was a man that made a lot of mistakes. A lot of mistakes. And I believe that there may be some people here. And I believe that there may be some people watching through social media that are going to be able to relate. We're going to read a lot of scripture. And then I'm just going to pull out a few points. But I want it to be clear. The life of David. Oh, that they would know. The man after God's own heart. I want to submit to you today that God is full of grace and he is full of mercy. Okay? But in order for God to, to have the grace that King David had, They have to confess, confess and forsake what they're doing that is against God. Amen. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, he who covers their sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses them and forsakes them will have mercy of the Lord. And before I, I begin to re read the, the scripture, I truly believe this is why the Bible shows us that David, although in his many failures, he had the grace of God. He had the mercy of God. He knew how to repent before God. He knew when he had done wrong. He knew when he had made a grave mistake. And I believe this is why the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart because he knew how to repent before God. But I also want to submit to you today that although he realized that he had made a mistake and he realized that God's mercy was with him, that his grace was with him, there were still consequences to his actions. Now, I'm not saying that there's going to be consequences to the actions that, that we, we make in Christ. Okay, that's going to be for you to decide as you look at the scripture. So the point that I want to make here today, you know, if, if I lose you, you get lost and you say, man, I'm, I'm confused. I do want you to leave with this. That although God forgives us, look at your neighbor and say, he forgives us. And he has mercy. There were consequences, say it to your neighbor, to the characters within the Bible. So my question to you today is this. So is the consequence worth the pleasure? So is the consequence worth the pleasure. So we're going to kick it off. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Okay. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Samuel is where? In between Genesis and Revelations. I'm sad because if I wasn't here to roll her eyes and say yes, yes, Genesis and Revelation. So, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. 
And we find the story of David. Now, when you look at this story, you know, David, before we even read it, I want to submit to you today that when you're doing what God has called you to do, and you're focused on what God has called you to do, there's a slight chance, less chance, that you're going to fall into the temptation that is thrown before you because you're focused on God. And when you're focused on God, you're praying. When you're focused on God, you're reading. When you're focused on God, you're fasting. So it's hard for the enemy to penetrate those three elements. But it will happen. You will be tempted. What I want to say by that is that we find David in this portion of scripture that he wasn't doing what he had to do. He wasn't, he was a king. He was a warrior. God had made him a warrior. But in this portion of scripture, it shows us that the kings were out to war, but he stayed home. He was being comfortable. Have you ever been a Christian and just got comfortable and all of a sudden you begin to feel the hits from everywhere? And then the temptation comes. Now I really believe that if David would have been doing what God had called him to do, he would have never fell into that temptation. Nevertheless, what what the enemy meant for evil... God uses it in his word and he turns it around for the good, for your sake and my sake, so that we will not commit the same mistake that David did. And the Bible says, and it came to pass after the years was expired, at the time when the kings go forth to battle. All right, so we see here that it was a time that the kings were out to battle. They were fighting. That David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel that they destroyed the children of the of Ammon and besieged Rabbah but David stayed still in Jerusalem so here we see that David David stayed behind when he should have been out there leading the fight leading the war are you with me all right and it came to pass in an evening time that David arose from his bed and he walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. Now, you know, the, the commentators, the, the people that are scholars, they wonder why would Bathsheba be bathing outside? Did she have a part of it? Did she know that this was a routine that David did? I want to submit to you today that the enemy knows the routines that you do. Oh, yeah. And the Bible says that as he walked on the rooftop, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Phineas Dake says that she might have been one of the most beautiful women of Israel. She was beautiful. She caught the king's eye. And it was tradition that when a woman will ca- catch the king's eye, the king will send for her and then they will give her a, a room within the palace and she would wait to see if she was one that was chosen by the king. So David sends to inquire, who is this beautiful woman? Now if David would have been in alignment with God, if David would have been soaked in his presence, what happens next most likely would not have happened. The Bible says, verse 4, oh no, I'm sorry, verse 3, and David said and inquired after the woman, and one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliab, the wife? And up to that, up to the, up to that point, you know, Bathsheba was open for game, right? Because 
they're just saying, you know, this is the daughter of so-and-so. But the next thing, if David would not have been in the flesh, have you ever been in the flesh? Or be Andrew in the back, all right? Anybody else? If David would not have been in the flesh, he would have took heed to the next portion of the scripture. And the Bible says, is this not the daughter of Eliam, the wife, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? This should have been the automatic red flag. Wait, she's a married woman. She's a married woman. I shouldn't even be looking at her. Because David knew the commandments. David had had a relationship with God. But I want to submit to you today that when a person is falling away, is backsliding, a lot of times the backsliding doesn't happen instantly. A lot of times the backsliding has already started in the heart. He had already began to fall away. So when he heard that she was married, if he would have been in a right relationship with God, he would have stopped there and said, you know what, she's married, I can't proceed with this. Are you with me? And David sent the messengers and he took her anyways. And she came into him and he slept with her. For she was now purified from her uncleanliness. She was in her menstrual period when she was bathing herself, but now she was cleansed. So he slept with her. And she went back home. And the woman conceived and said and told David, I am pregnant. And this is where the story just begins to get crazy, okay? And it says, And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was come unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go home. You know, he had a conversation with him and he goes, man, that's pretty interesting. I'm paraphrasing, okay? I, this is how I picture it. So he's having this meeting with Uriah and all this time in his mind, he knows that he has slept with his wife. So he tries to cover his sin. And he says, you know, go with your wife and have a good time and hang out with her for the purpose of being able to hide what he had done with his wife and that she was pregnant. The purpose was that Uriah would sleep with his wife and that the sin that they had committed would be covered and that they would believe everybody around them that the baby was actually Uriah's. Oh, but when you have people that are faithful to God and when you have people that are faithful to what God has called them, Bible continues to show us that Uriah did not go home. He slept in the front of the palace. And the Bible says, And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house, wash your feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord. And he did not go to his house. And when they had told David this saying, Uriah went not down to his house, David said unto Uriah, Hey, bro, you just came back from war. Go with your wife. Don't worry about the war. Don't worry about what's happening over there. David said unto Uriah, You just came from a long journey. Why then didn't you go down to your house? And Uriah said unto David, The ark... And Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Should I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this very thing. 
right? So we see a couple things that are happening here. David sins. We just looked at, first of all, he did something. He did. He committed a sin that he knew was wrong. And the Bible says that to those who know to do right but do not do it is considered as of sin unto them. So David knew that this was wrong, yet he did it anyways. The second thing that we, we already seen is that he committed adultery. The third thing he did was he committed deception. He plotted to cover his sin. Let's look at the next sin. And David said to Uriah, tarry here today and also tomorrow. Basically, David was buying time to think about, well, what can I do to get this guy to go home? And that I could cover everything that I have done. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the next day. And when David had called him, he did eat and he did drink before him. And he made him drunk. And at evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but he did not go home. The fourth thing that we see here is that David gets him drunk. He gets him drunk, so maybe if I get him drunk, he will fulfill what I need for him to fulfill so that I could be off the hook from the sin that I just committed. And it came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that the courageous men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell of them people of the servants of David and Uriah and the Heatite. Okay, so basically what is what is showing us here is that David sends Uriah to the deepest part of the battle so that he could get killed. The next thing is that he plots, he premeditates murder. You know what I find really sad about this portion of scripture? The scriptures before said that he gave Uriah the letter. Right. So that Uriah could take the letter to Joab. Little did Uriah know that he was taking Joab his own death sentence. How backslidden was David at this point that he would be able to transgress against God in this manner? It's sad. If you really think of the story, I mean, this guy was faithful to him. This guy was a man that believed in the vision of David to get back the Ark of the Covenant. Yet David was so backslidden. David was so far away from God that all these different things, it didn't matter to him. He was willing to lie. He was willing to kill. He was willing to deceive in order to cover his transgressions against God. Then Joab sent and told David all the things that had happened. So eventually Joab, um, Uriah dies in the forefront. And what happens is that Joab sends David a letter back telling him, Hey, look, you know, some men got killed. You know, they got too close to the heat of the battle. And then, he, and then Joab tells his servant, And when you say this to, to David... Let him know, if he gets mad, let him know that. But Uriah also died in the process. So now David is not only committing sin, he's also getting other people involved in his sin. See, there is no, I'm not my brother's keeper. When you participate of somebody else's sin, it's like you're sinning yourself. Can I get a witness? There's a point to all this, okay? Don't fall asleep on me. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war, and he charged the messenger, saying, When you go over there and you say the end of the story to David, to the king, and so it is that he gets angry, say unto him, 
When we approached near the city, we did fight. Knew you not that they would shoot from the wall? In other words, they was gonna probably question him. What kind of decision is that? Why would you get so close? Who smoked Abimelech, the son of Jerubabeth, Jerubasheth, did not a woman cast a piece of the millstone upon him from the wall? And did he not die in Tebez? Why went then you close to the wall? And when he says this, you tell him, thy servant Uriah and Heatite is also there. That was the key word, right? That was like, hey, if he gets mad, just tell him this. And he's going to be like, oh, okay, all right. So the messenger went and he came to show David all that Joab has sent him for. And the messenger said unto David, surely the man prevailed against us. And they came out unto his field, and they were upon them, even unto the entering of the gate. And the shooters shot from the wall upon the servants, and some of the king's servants, they died. But also your servant Uriah, the Heatite, is dead also. Kind of like wink, wink. He's dead, you know. Not a big deal. So then David said unto the messenger, All right, okay, so say unto Joab, not to let this displease him. For the sword devours one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city and overthrow it and encourage him to keep going forward. You know, I wonder how far David has strayed away from God. Because now he knows, now he's confessing. Oh, so he died. Well, you know, things happen. You know, I mean... These are things that are bound to happen. I wonder really how far David had gone away from God. How far did his heart was vaccinated from God. That he had no concern for life. And I'm going to tell you that we may, not that it matters, right, but we may be able to hide it from people, but we can never hide it from God. And it makes me wonder, again, how far was David away from God? Because he thought, okay, well, he's dead. The problem is over. But I think he was so backslidden that he forgot who it really mattered to. Because David didn't put himself up there. God had established him as a king. So he thinks at this point of his life, well, you know, it's over. He's dead. Nobody's going to find out. But we forget that God always knows. We forget that although people may not see it, God sees it. And the Bible says... And when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. She still loved her husband. She still loved her husband. So now we see that not only does he get the captain of the armies to get involved with his sin, he's also hurting people around him through the actions that he's doing. I want to submit to you today. That the sin that we commit, people around us are watching us. It doesn't only affect us, but it affects the point of view of those who surround us. Can I get an amen? If you don't agree, say, well. I thought I heard a well back there. <laughs> Okay, so listen to this. So now, so now, this is what we just read. This is what we just read. Number one, David knew that we had what he had done was wrong, but he did it anyway. So it is considered a sin to those who know to do right, yet they don't do it. Number two, through the scripture that we have read, he committed adultery. Number three, he committed deception. He plotted to cover his sin. Number four, 
He gets an innocent man, look at it, your neighbor and say, innocent man, intoxicated. Number five, he plots to cover his sin through premeditated murder. And eventually, murder happens. I mean, how sad is that? Hey, here, give this letter to the, to, to the guy that's uh, watching the war. And little did this man know that he was taking his own death sentence to this man. Number six, we realize, we see through the scripture... The hardness of his heart. And I say the hardness of his heart because he really thought in his mind that he eliminated Uriah, everything's going to be fine. His heart was so hardened that he thought his sin was finished. It ends there. Not only that, he still has the audacity, right? Look at your neighbor and say, audacity. Audacity. <laughs> that after he does all these things, he still marries Bathsheba. But, like I shared with you, we may hide things from people. I don't care what they say about me. Right? <laughs> But the thing is that we should care what God has to say about it. Look at the next portion of the scripture. This is scary. Okay? It says, And when the morning had passed Bathsheba, David said, And he fetched for her to his house, and she became his wife, and she bore him a son. And I'm thinking, David probably thinks, man, you know, I'm forgiven, the mercy of God, compassion, you know, God has blessed me, you know, you know, nobody found out. But the following portion of the scripture says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Well, man, I got chills, amen? Because again... We may think that we may hide things from people, but we cannot hide them from God. So my next point is that although God did not show his fury, God did not show his anger in this portion of scripture, the following scriptures show us that in his timing, God rebukes David. And there is a consequence to all these different things that David thought were done for. Well, you know what? I mean, God didn't strike me, so I must be okay still with God. You see, that's a backslidden mentality. We forget that although we have not got what we deserve, there is still an account in heaven. And we have to answer for it. Oh, and when the prophet comes. Oh, and when the prophet comes. Because God has a way of showing us what you did was wrong. And the Bible shows us, we're going to read another portion of scripture and then we're going to close it off, right? And the Lord sent Nathan unto David and he came unto him and he said unto him there were two men in the city now he's talking about him and he's talking about Uriah right and when he talks about the little lamb he's talking about Bathsheba okay so I want you to keep those three things in mind there were two men in one city the one rich and the one poor okay the rich one was who David the poor man was Uriah and the Bible says, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb. Who was the little lamb? Bathsheba, right? Which he had brought nerd. In other words, she wasn't just a, a woman that he was married to. He knew her from a young age. He helped her get developed. He had a lot of love for his wife. And the Bible says which he had brought up to nourishment, and he grew up together with him and with his children. And they didn't eat from his food, and drank from his cup, and laid on his bosom, and was unto him a daughter, like a daughter. And 
there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock. He didn't get. I mean, David has so many wives. And if, hey, and if you're married, you know that one wife's enough. Amen. Why would you want another another wife, right? And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take his own flock of his own herd to dress the wafering man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David got angry. You see, this is where you know that David knew what he had done was wrong. I want to submit to you today that we know when we do wrong. Absolutely. So the prophet is giving him a parable. Right? He's telling him, look, this is what happened. You know, this rich man took from this poor man everything that this poor man had. And David, in his anger, he says, And he says unto Nathan, As the Lord lives, this man that has done this thing shall surely die. Right? <laughs> and not only should he die, right? He shall restore the lamb fourfold, the yeah. sinner, right? Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And I could picture the prophet going, and I want you to picture this. So David is mad, right? In all his righteousness. That wasn't right. He shall pay for it. He should surely die. And after he dies, he has to, you know, give him fourfold of the lambs. And Nathan says to David, he looks at him straight in the eye as a prophet will look at you and I. And he tells him, that man is you. There's consequences. See, David thought he had gone away with it. But there was consequences. Yes. I want to submit to you today. Is the pleasure really worth the consequence? Is the pleasure really worth the judgment of God? Is the pleasure really worth the outcome that our kids, that our grandkids one day may judge us by well dad you did it why can't I do it listen to this now the prophet lets him have it you know he just picture Pastor Jane just like <laughs> and Nathan said to David you are that man man if I would have been that prophet I would have been rolling over my arms like ooh I'm going to let you have it, bro. <laughs> Thus saith the Lord. God, amen. Oh, when you hear those words, it's like, oh, my God. He says, Thus saith the Lord, your God of Israel. I anointed you as king over Israel. And I delivered you out of the hands of Saul. And I gave you master's houses and thy master's wives in thy bosom. And I gave you the house of Israel, of Judah. And David, look, if this would not have been enough, I would have gave you more. Isn't that something? If you would have just asked. You know, you had enough wives. But if you would have wanted another wife, I would have gave it to you. And if that would have been too little, I would have more have given to you such many things as you had desired. Wherefore, have you despised the commandments of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah. And the prophet didn't even know. But God has shown him that David killed Uriah. 
the Hittite with the sword and has taken his wife to be your wife and has laid him for the sword of the children of Ammon. Look at your neighbor and say, therefore. Therefore. I don't know if you really want to have said that, but. <laughs> now, therefore, the sword. Here comes the consequence. Because David thought, well, you know, I got away with it. There's no consequences. We had a kid. You know, everything is cool. But the prophet comes and he says, Therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. That's scary. Think about that. The Bible says that we reap what we sow. When you begin to look at this portion of scripture, the sword will never depart from your house. David went through so many Things in his household. And when you begin to really dissect the scripture, you begin to look at that everything that he did to Uriah in some way happened to him in his life. So I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to receive that from God, but I'm, I'm not going to take the chance to do it. It ain't worth it. Right, let's keep reading on. We're almost done. We're almost done. Don't fall asleep. It's too juicy. Oh, should we just stop there? We don't want to hear it. We want to eat the meat. It's like eating popcorn. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you. That's scary. I mean, people could raise hell against you, but when God raises evil against you and I, who will help us? Who can deliver us? I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will, out of your own house. His descendants, when you look at the scripture, his own sons wanted to kill David. His own sons wanted to take the throne. His own son murdered within the family. His own son raped David's daughter. These were all consequences of the actions of David. So we cannot say that we will not have consequences when we know to do right and we don't do it. Look at your neighbor and say, well... Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up people against out of your house, and I will take thy wives before your eyes. He says, What you did in secret, I will do it before men. That's humiliating. You know, what you did in secret, he tells David, I'm going to let everybody see what is being done to you. Your wives that I gave you are going to be taken away. For thou did this in secret, but I will do it, this thing, before, not just the people, I will do it before all Israel. Because you tried to hide it, I will expose it from the rooftops. Are we still good? And David said unto Nathan, see this is where I appreciate David, because David says unto Nathan, Oh boy, I have sinned, okay? I have sinned against the Lord. Because we gotta realize that before we sin against man, we're sinning before God. And the Bible says, and Nathan said unto David, the Lord has also put away thy sin, and you will not die. I'm pretty sure David was like, whew. Thank you, Jesus, right? How be it? Look at your neighbor and say, how be it? How be it? This is another word, right? He's like, what do you mean, how be it? Because by your deeds, by this deed, what you have done, thou hast given a great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. See, that's what happens when you and I do these things that are not of God. People that surround us go, well, how great is their God? 
God tells them, you won't die. But the son you have with Bathsheba, he's going to die. What an impact. And David does what any believer will do. He gets into prayer, he gets into passing, and he's crying out to God. He's like, God, please be gracious. You know, I want to submit to you today that although we may ask God for forgiveness, it doesn't mean that we won't have a consequence. Now, the extent may not be as great as this, but we see that David had to pay a great price for pleasure. And we're going to finish it off. And it came to pass on the seventh day that the child died. On the seventh day, God's perfect number. And the servants of David feared to tell him that the child had died, right? They thought he was going to just blow it. For they said, Behold, while the child was alive, we spoke unto him, and he would not hearken unto our voice. How will it be then? If we tell him that the child has died, but when David saw that the servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore David said unto his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is. So then the Bible says that David arose from the earth and he washed himself and he ate and he felt better. In the beginning of this sermon, I told you that in spite of our mistakes, God is still the God of grace. And God is still the God of mercy. That's who He is. But I don't want to experience that grace and that mercy by committing or taking indulging of pleasure. Look at how beautiful God is. He forgives him, he spanks him, he takes his son, and God in all his grace and mercy gives him another son. He gives him Jedediah, also known as Solomon, the wisest man in the Bible. Not only that, when you look at Jedediah, it actually means a friend of God. So, David, he fell short, he fell into that sin, God forgave him, God shows him mercy and gives him another son. Nevertheless, his troubles came through his own sins and his own foolishness. And through the rest of his life, to the end of his life, those troubles, because of his actions, dominated the life of David. And they were simply brought because of his own foolishness. Because of his own desires. When you look at 2 Samuel chapter 13, remember, the prophet told him, the sword will never depart from your house. That's kind of harsh. It will never depart from your house. When you look at 2 Samuel chapter 13, you see the horrific story of the abuse of Tamar by her own brother. He rapes her. He lures her in. He says, hey, I'm hungry. And when she came in, he raped her. Consequences of his action. Nothing, I believe, can be more painful to a father, to a mother, than seeing his own sins reproduced in the life of their children. Not only that, as parents, we can't say anything anymore. But we should. There has to be a way to come and say, hey, look, I know I did it, but God forgave me. 
You shouldn't take the, 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 the same path that I took. You with me? Later in the same chapter, we have the murder of his other son, Abner, at the hands of Tamar's brother, Absalom. Again, so David's sin against Uriah is reproduced in his own family. Remember the prophet said, the sword will never depart from you because what you did displeased the Lord. Then we look at 2 Samuel chapter 15. We have the story of Absalom's hatred for his father. The sword will never depart from your house. We see that Absalom not only hates his father, he rebels against David. And although in Samuel 18, David is restored, but he's only restored to come and see the death of his son. No time to peace. The sword never departed from his, from his house. David was inconsolable. His father's heart was broken. As a father, his heart was broken by the rebellion of his own son and the pain of his own daughter. But all of these were consequences due to his actions. So what do we take from this church? I truly believe that if David could have seen all that would flow from his sin with Bathsheba, the toll, the cost that it took on his family, not only on his family, his career as a man of God, and not only that, the cost on God's people. See, not only we suffer when we fall into these things, but our children suffer. Our reputation as men and women of God. But also the people of God. We cannot give anybody an excuse to leave because of us. You know, so and so fell, so I don't want to serve God anymore. People are just waiting to say those things. I really believe that if David knew all these things were going to happen or play out like that, he would have turned away from Bathsheba and said, nah, she may be pretty and she may be fine, but she ain't worth all, the, all these things that I'm going to go through, all these things that my family is going to endure, the raping of my daughter, the killing of my son, the anger of my son towards me. I want to submit to you today, church, that no pleasure is worth this kind of pain. Nope. Never. Many public figures who have been shamed by their exposure of their actions in recent weeks would also say, if I had known the pain that would come to me, the cost that would come to my loved ones, I would have never done it. So I want you to stand with me today, church, and ask yourselves. How will it be if I continue to do this? And how will it be if one day the world will know about it? How will it be Forget about the world. Forget about your friends. Forget about our family. But how would it be one day if I stood before God with this laid to my charge? Well, I did all this for you, God. And I did all this for you, God. And God says, what about this? We must count the cost to ourselves. Not only to ourselves, but to our loved ones. Absolutely. And supremely, also to Christian believers. To Christ. Christ died for our sin. The Bible says, how many love, how many love Jesus? 
raise up your hand. How many love Jesus real? So the Bible says, Christ died for our sins. If you love him, you will not continue in that sin. First John chapter 3, verse 6. Oh, that's heavy, man. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're not going to fall short. It's that we do an about face to the things that we know are wrong before that's right. God. That's right. So, in a sense, if you and I love Christ, we will not continue to sin in that sin Amen. habitually. Amen. David himself is wonderful proof that he sinned terribly. And he covered it up for a long, long time. But in the long run, if you truly have a relationship with God, you cannot live from God at a distance. No. So besides the great pain that came to David and his family, there were also great losses that came to the people of God in the last chapter of David's life. Real quick, what it was that he had achieved of bringing the tribes together of Israel, uniting them. And this was a marvelous thing. When David is restored to the throne after Absalom's rebellion, we find that the old divisions between the tribes have erupted again. And basically, David's great achievement of his life was unraveled. And the work uniting the tribes had to be redone all over again. Is it worth to get everything that we have, un we have done unraveled and started all over? We need to make sure that our lives, that our life stories is not for years you serve the Lord, but at the end of you, you and your life, it will not be unraveled. Keep safe what God has given you. It is possible to serve the Lord with great distinction. And we see this in the life of David. For 20 years, David led the people of God into the best days ever known to Israel. But the later years of his life were dominated by one trouble after another simply because of his actions. The root of all this was the actions of his sin. Church, see that no one takes your crown. See that nobody allows you to fall into sin and take your crown. Sin is painful, church. Nothing good ever comes out of it. Sin kills everything it touches. Yes. The Bible shows us that sin destroys everything. Yes. And Father, we just thank you today. We ask you, Lord God, that we see that in spite of our mistakes, you are a merciful, you are a graceful God. But Lord, falling into that temptation is not worth the consequences. It's not worth falling into those consequences, Lord. And Lord, I, I'm not going to say that those consequences... Maybe people on social media have, have done something that has really, I mean, it's against you. And the consequence is going to be as harsh as David's. Nevertheless, there will be consequences. Let us not turn back 10, 15, 20 years from now and say, that happened because of the decision that I made while knowing and being a Christian. Help us, Lord. Lead us. Your word says, help us to overcome temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. 
We ask you, Lord God, that we realize that David had consequences to his actions. The sword never departed from his house. Have grace on us, God. Have grace on us, Father. We thank you for showing us the truth. You see, sermons are not all about love and forgiving. We got to preach stuff like this. Because the day is approaching. Jesus yes. is on his way back. And the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of the saints coming together. Especially as the time draws near. That's right. To encourage us to stay away from those things. That may hinder our walks with God. Yes. Jesus loves you, church. He loves you so much. He loves us so much to be able to spank us and show us and remind us to get back in line. We turn it over to you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, Wow. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you guys Monday. Okay? Oh, Lord. 
Oh, Lord, show me the path you want for me. This is what the Lord wants me to say to you. Not your way. It has to be his way. I want you to hear me today. So the Lord says to you, and me, I have destiny for you. I have a way that you, you will follow me and obey me and keep my commandments. Great will be the blessing that will come upon you and your household, says the Lord thy God. There's been days that have gone by, says the Lord thy God. The words of death were spoken to you today. Words were spoken to your days. The words that it affected you. It touched you physically. And the Lord said, these things will not be no longer. You obey me, follow me. Allow the word to be rich within you, says the Lord thy God. Allow the word to permeate itself in you. And I will show you the greatness of me, says the Lord thy God. I will even show you the path that I want you on. And I want to let you know, sir, you're called to be a teacher in the house of God. And the Lord said, you've been running for a little while. And God said, I don't want you running. I want you straight with me. As you follow me with all your ways, says the Lord thy God, I will open you up and you will know yourself. But I will also give you confidence, a quiet confidence that everyone will know that you are the woman of God, that God is anointed you, and God has called you, and God has chosen you on his path. And you really would love to have you in a different direction. The enemy does not want you on that path because you're going to make an impact for the kingdom of God. And because you can make an impact for the kingdom of God, the enemy likes to sift you. And the Lord says, now is time to put your foot down and walk in faith and watch on Brother Topperhead does bother with feet. You know, yeah, he's speaking tongues. He's speaking tongues. 